Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, attorney and healthcare advocate, and many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks. World-class web hosting and domain name registration. Learn more about them by going to pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. Now, this program is devoted to the one issue which impacts every American, and that is health care. Our mission is to raise the level of discussion. This is not a show where we drift from one soundbite to another. And today we have another committed healthcare professional, reformer, uh, and advocate, Dr. Charles Panacchio. He's an associate professor of history at the University of the Arts of, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And later on in the show, we will be covering a lot of ground with Professor Panacchio reflecting on the recent history of healthcare reform, uh, why uh, it has gone in fits and starts, and now we're back almost to where we started. Uh, the possible state-by-state approaches and also a new film that he helped develop called Fix It. We'll talk a lot about that. But first, the news. After writing off the Republican effort to repeal the uh, Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, President Trump has now stated that health care is back. It's back on the front of his stove as soon as he deals with that little thing called North Korea. Uh, Based upon the president's statements, it appears that his strategy Uh, very similar to his strategy with North Korea, is to uh, threaten and deliberately sabotage uh, the efficient operation of the Affordable Care Act through the withholding of insurance subsidies. Now, these are the monies that the government pays to insurance companies uh, as part of what makes it possible for the Affordable Care Act to be affordable. In other words, people who are middle-income can go to the the exchanges, purchase insurance. If the cost of that insurance is five or six hundred dollars a month, depending on how much money that person makes, the government will pick up maybe as much as ninety percent. Well, what the president is threatening to do is just simply not pay it. Now, this is this is in his toolbox, as you know if you've been paying attention. The president, when he was uh, this wildly successful businessman, his his go-to strategy was just not to pay people. And, and that, then he, he would get them to capitulate because if they weren't getting paid, they, they were going to go bankrupt, and then he would declare victory. So uh, why not? Why not take that to government in the Affordable Care Act? And so that is his threat. Uh, Senator Charles Schumer, uh, the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, said simply, President Trump is threatening to hold hostage health care for millions of Americans, many of whom voted for him which is maybe something a lot of uh, listeners don't appreciate. The very people whose ox will be most gored by this president are the very people that he appealed to when he ran for office. It's, it's quite ironic uh, and maddening, and sooner or later maybe they'll, they'll see the, the light, smell the coffee, whatever. In the meanwhile, uh, Speaker Ryan is going to the extreme people in his own party and saying, look, what do you want? What do you want to vote yes on this health care repeal? And they're taking full advantage of that. It could be a matter of days, maybe weeks at the most, before we see another uh, slightly modified version of the bill that they didn't even bring to a vote a few weeks ago because it was so awful. You may recall that only 17% of the people in the United States thought that the Trump-Ryan health care plan made any sense at all. That number may even be lower the next time around, but they don't seem to care. Uh, they, they, they care what you think when it's election season, but 
when it's not election season, what they want to do is reduce taxes, and that's really what this is about. If they cut the taxes that fund the Affordable Care Act, then they can say, look, we don't have the money for it, and they can just stop providing the services that the Affordable Care Act provides. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, our champion of the health care reform movement, Bernie Sanders, uh, remains the most popular politician in the country, and we are all waiting for the bill that he has promised to introduce in April for a Medicare for All. In the meanwhile, uh, already in the House of Representatives is a bill by John Conyers, which we've discussed on the show before, H.R. 676. And uh, last week, they managed to hit 95 co-sponsors. Now, that's a lot of co-sponsors for any legislation. But for legislation that essentially would expand Medicare to all Americans, that's quite uh, stunning. And it beats the previous record, which was 93 co-sponsors, and people are still signing up. So uh, that movement is continuing. Uh, Finally, just a few words about the uh, Veterans Administration. You all may recall that President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, made a very big point about putting veterans first. He didn't give a speech where that wasn't a major part of what he was talking about, uh, how sad it was that the veterans were being treated the way they were, how he was going to make it all better. And as you may also have figured out, since he became president almost 100 days ago, he's done nothing, nothing at all. So that's the news. What we're going to do is take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about co-pays and deductibles, everybody's favorite topic. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. Talk to you in a moment. One of the dirty little secret all over this land. A free market monster with invisible hands. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14. 31? I mean, 13? We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. He realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And later this hour, we will have an extended interview with historian, professor of history, and health reform expert and advocate Charles Pinocchio of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But first, let's invest a little time discussing the dreaded copay, copay, deductible, coinsurance. Um, if you're lucky enough to have insurance, you get to pay copays and deductibles and coinsurance. And what is that all about? What are we talking about? Those are the amounts which you have to pay at the receptionist's window when you go to the doctor's office, or if you go to the pharmacy to fill a prescription, you know, they tell you how much you have to reach into your pocket and pay. Uh, sometimes you're sent a bill. And for most of us, we have no clue what it's going to be. It's just a total mystery when you have a service done or you get a prescription filled, what's the copay going to be? And of course, the reason it's a mystery is because it's different policy to policy and even year to year. If your employer provides your insurance, every year they have to renegotiate that policy. And very often, 
to keep the price where it was the year before, they have to accept higher co-pays, higher deductibles, higher co-insurance. It keeps the premium that the uh, employer is paying steady, but it's essentially a cut in what you're getting. If you have to pay a higher deductible and co-pay, then, of course, it's less insurance than you had before. And, of course, just to make things really confusing, they call these charges by different names. As I mentioned before, uh, sometimes they're called deductibles, sometimes they're called copays, sometimes they're called coinsurance. And depending upon the insurance policy that you happen to have, the amount that you have to go into your pocket per year uh, can have a cap. It can be $1,000 per person. Or for a family, it can be 7500 or 10000 uh, We're hearing stories in the media all the time about the, but co-pays and deductible caps in the $15,000 range for some families. Well, if you have co-pays and deductibles at that level, you might as well not have insurance at all because the, the ability of the average person to afford that kind of expense is, is low. Most Americans are lucky if they, ha- they could afford a $500 expense. Every year, the Wall Street Journal and USA Today come out with studies saying if you had an expense, a sudden unexpected expense of $500, could you pay it? And an astonishing number of Americans could not. So maybe they go get a payday loan, or maybe they borrow money from the family, or more likely, they just go without. And one of the ironic things that's happened is because People on Medicaid, now that's the insurance for people that make 137% of the poverty level or less. The people that are eligible for Medicaid, including the people who are added to Medicaid because of the Affordable Care Act expansion, they actually don't have co-pays and deductibles. So what we're seeing in the healthcare industry is this complete flip-flop. It used to be that about two-thirds of the people coming to see doctors had commercial health insurance, and only about one-third had some kind of government, uh, usually Medicaid-type insurance. That has now flipped. Now, in many areas, two-thirds of the people coming in for routine care are covered by Medicaid, and only about one-third are covered by private insurance, and that's just because the middle class, which is typically the, the group that's getting insurance through their employers, are just essentially rendered uninsured because they can't afford the co-pays and deductibles. So what is the point? What is the point of a copay? What is the point of a deductible or coinsurance? Is it to make money for the doctor? No. No, not at all. If you've if you have any experience with business whatsoever, you can just think about for a moment what amount of expense goes into collecting a $20 bill at the uh, doctor's office. If a patient comes in, you have to say, okay, you owe $20. Did they pay it? Did they not pay it? If they do pay it, it's usually in cash, or if not, it's a check. You have to process that. You have to account for it. It's a pain. You probably eat up most of that 20 bucks just in the accounting cost. So it's not making any money for the doctor, even if you think that it is. It really isn't. Really, the principal reason is because somebody got it in their heads years ago that if you don't charge people, you will have overutilization. That's one of the insurance industry's favorite words, overutilization. What they mean is, God forbid you actually use the insurance you paid for. 
that's like the last thing they want to have happen. Don't, whatever you do, don't use the insurance. So, of course, they they throw in these costs as sort of tripwires, as uh, little electric shocks, essentially, to your pocketbook to prevent you from actually going to see the doctor. And, of course, it works, particularly if you're, let's say, a single mother with two or three kids, and you need to take all two or three of them because they all got sick at the same time, of course, and now you've got to co-pay for all two or three, what are you going to do? And it's just, um, it's just a way to keep people from using their coverage that their employers paid for, they helped pay for, or that the government's paying for. It's just uh, it's unjust and it's unnecessary. We talk a lot of, about health care injustice on this show, and that's an example. For example, if I'm working as, let's say I'm the president of a small company, and I'm making 200000 bucks a year. Pretty good money, huh? I have the same insurance policy that the people that work for me. And if they're making $35,000 a year, and the deductibles and co-pays are $1,000, well, that 1000 bucks to the $200,000 CEO is no great shakes. Big deal. But to somebody who's making $35,000 a year and trying to support a family on that, that's a lot of money. And it's completely unjust. If we were going to have a just system, if you believed in co-pays at all, you would adjust that up for the person that makes more money. But, of course, since the people who make more money are the people that are making the decisions, uh, you're probably not going to see that. The other reason that a lot of people think that we need co-pays and deductibles is to discourage people from using health care frivolously. And that one always cracks me up. I, I think anybody that's ever taken a sick kid to the doctor knows that you would never do it if you didn't have to. It's no fun. Healthcare is not a discretionary purchase. You don't, you don't sit there and say, gee, should I go to the beach today or, t- or take my sick kid to the doctor? Let's say go to the beach, go to the doctor, go to the beach, go to the doctor. You don't think that way, and nobody does. But when you listen to people in Congress and and industry, insurance industry people, you would think that that's the the way people think. A person going to the doctor has a lot of skin in the game beyond what you force them to pay when they go to get the service. First of all, you're sick. If If you're going to the doctor and you're not sick, you have a different problem. You have a mental health problem, and maybe you see a different kind of doctor. But nobody goes to see the doctor for the fun of it. So let's, just, let's start with the assumption that they're going because they're really sick. So number one, that's a price you're paying. Second, you have to take time off from work. Most people in this country work. One job, two jobs, sometimes three jobs. So you've got to take time off from work because the doctors don't schedule their time in the office to suit you. So now you're missing time from work. You're disrupting your schedule and your employer's schedule. Now you have to get to the doctor. If you've got a car, if you're lucky enough to have a car, you're going to use up the gas, you're going to put wear and tear in the car, you're going to have to find a place to park, all that hassle. Then you actually have to go into the doctor's office, sit there, uh, along with a bunch of other sick people. This is, of course, the thing you wanted to do today. So you're sitting there with a lot of uh, other people who are also sick. You have to go into the doctor's office, and I don't have to tell you how much fun that is. Eventually, maybe you get a prescription. Very few doctors can actually fill that prescription at their office. Now you've got to drag yourself to the pharmacy, or you have to go get more tests, blood tests, uh, some kind of x-ray, something like that, more of that. And then to say that you would do all of that unless you had to pay a $20 or $25 copay 
is insane. It makes no sense at all. So co-pays, deductibles, co-insurance, co-insurance is like the 80-20, you know, you pay 20%. That's a lot of money if you have a $10,000 hospital bill. These are the kind of things that all have to go. If you want to have a humane and just healthcare system, it really should be one without co-pays, deductibles, or co-insurance. So that's, um, that's the commentary. We're going to be back after a few minutes with Chuck Pinocchio, who's a truly wonderful man and has been fighting the good fight for about 15 years. He has a lot to tell us about what's going on across the country in healthcare reform. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. We'll see you on the other side. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You like working with your hands. You're good at putting things together, and you take pride in your work. Hey, with your skills and drive, you could have a satisfying, stable career as a sheet metal worker. Sheet Metal Local 12 is accepting apprentices right now. Earn while you learn to work with a product that's vital to technology and manufacturing in nearly every industry known to man. Apply today or learn more online at smlocal12.org. That's smlocal12.org. Your future begins right now. smlocal12.org. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's gonna be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't, it's too heavy. Oh my God. Or D, just roll with it. Justin! OMG! He just looked... I love you, Justin! I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Sing a payer is what it's called. And welcome everyone to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, attorney and healthcare advocate, and we are delighted to have you with us. If you think you will need healthcare some time in your life, you are in the right place because that's what we talk about here healthcare, and more particularly healthcare politics. And this week, we are very fortunate to have one of the great advocates in the country for healthcare reform. His name is Charles Pinocchio, Charles F. Pinocchio, who is an associate professor of history at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has a PhD from the University of Colorado, has written many books or co-authored many books, been very active in politics. And as I was preparing for this interview, I, I went to the University of the Arts website 
And uh, Charles, I'm going to call you Chuck, if that's okay, since we've known each other for 10 years. Uh, I see you're teaching four courses that I'd like to take these courses. The first one is 1968, the year that defined a generation. Uh, it sure, sure did. When people ask me what was the worst year of the last century, I tell them 1968. It's, uh, it's an easy one. Uh, then you teach modern American history, politics, and the media. I didn't know there was a difference. Uh, U.S. and the world, 1776 to the present. So uh, sign me up. I'll audit all four courses. <laughs> Very sweet of you. Charles, welcome to the show. Uh, I wanted to uh, really focus in on the fact that you are a leader in the healthcare reform movement and have been for about 10 years with an emphasis on the state-by-state -state approach. And I just wonder if you could share with the audience a little bit what that's been like the past 10 years, the ups and downs, uh, just to get us started, what what have you been up to? Uh, well, the um, uh, effort to push on the state front regarding health care reform followed my uh, run for U.S. Senate when we met back in 2006. And then at that point in the fall of 2006, uh, we launched Health Care for All Pennsylvania. And uh, at that time, in 2006, George W. Bush was still in power. The Democrats were making a strong coming, comeback in the, in the U.S. Senate, picking up seats at the state level. So we saw opportunity both at the national and the state level. But I'm, uh, given my history studies and my understanding of the Constitution, I thought um, through conversations with you and others that our, actually our best shot was to get single-payer or Medicare for all adopted at, in a single state. And once that state launched, it would be evident to everyone the benefits of a single-payer universal health care system. And so that time period, 2006, until the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010, was really quite a prosperous time. That four-year period, we were able to get a lot of traction uh, in Harrisburg with uh, Republicans. We got Republican hearings. We got Democratic Party standing committee hearings. Uh, we were able to accomplish things in Pennsylvania that others were not accomplishing around the country. And one of the wonders of the, the legislation that uh, you helped, uh, that you initially crafted and has, has been since updated, is that it contains the, uh, uh, the payment method, the taxing and payment method for delivering uh, financing uh, health care for all uh, Pennsylvanians. So we've done economic impact studies uh, over the years that have confirmed all the working assumptions here. Um, and then and then once the, the Affordable Care Act passed in 2010, uh, we lost a lot of momentum. A lot of the oxygen left the room um, because the Democrats were all in with the Affordable Care Act and the Republicans were on the attack. And so it was very difficult to get much of, a, of, a, of an audience uh, from, from late 2010 on with Democrats or Republicans, both of whom had uh, thrown their lot in with the Affordable Care Act or against it. So it was very difficult to get much progress uh, done since then. But we have continued to organize. We've continued to build grassroots. We've continued to do our economic impact studies. We've done outreach with the business community. Uh, and uh, a topic that I think you want to allude to later in our conversation is I took a, a two-year hiatus as executive director of Healthcare for Pennsylvania and made a film that makes the financial and business argument for single payer. So that's a catalyst for hopefully taking this this project forward. 
Well, and we will spend a lot of time. One of the beauties of this particular program is we like to give our guests a lot of time to really sink their teeth into uh, what we're talking about. If we just did sound bites, nobody would really learn very much. We wouldn't move the ball. So yes, we're going to we're going to devote the whole second segment to talking about that movie and and also some of the written materials that are available online, which make it uh, really something that can become a, a curriculum in and of itself. But Pennsylvania certainly was out there at a time when it looked like there was no hope of getting a federal single-payer or Medicare-for-all system under the Bush administration. So Pennsylvania was out there pushing hard, but there were states like California and Vermont and Illinois, uh, some other states as well, and everybody seemed to get the second base but never could quite get the third base and certainly never got home. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's a it's a case by case uh, answer, Steve. I think if you if you look at individual states, but the overall overarching answer is just that um, Democratic Party politics are still very much run from the top down. That is to say that that um, once uh, Barack Obama had the Affordable Care Act passed and uh that's where the Democrats lined up, essentially. And the states were, were, from that point forward, told to just sit on it, don't push any harder on state single-payer, let's see how this thing unfolds. And uh, so a lot of this was really directed from top down, from Washington, D.C., down onto the states, onto the Democrats at the state level. Whereas the Republicans, their, their whole uh, approach was attack, attack, attack. They... They had no interest that I could determine at at the leadership level in 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 adopting any kind of 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 reform that might build on the Affordable Care Act or expand health care for um, for individuals at the state level. Well, they really had a great uh, slogan though: uh, "Repeal and right. Replace." I mean, they, it's hard to beat the Republicans when it comes to slogans. And one of the slogans they're using now is this uh, patient-centered care. Uh, I haven't, you know, I've been working on health care reform for 10 years. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Patient-centered care, maybe you can help me out. What do they mean, patient-centered care? Well, if you have money, you can get patient-centered care, Steve. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's basically it. I mean, it really is, it's a, I mean, we've talked about this, others have in the movement, is that our, our system is probably most accurately described or defined as medical apartheid which is to say that it, there's a class divide here. And the Affordable Care Act did absolutely nothing to change that formula. And there are four classes, right? There's, there's, uh, at, 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 you've got the platinum, you've got the gold, you've got the silver, you've got the bronze. And each of those uh, metals uh, lines up with the, the super wealthy, the wealthy, uh, the working class, and the poor. And so th- this is really what's become of our health care system is is that it's money-driven. It's not patient-driven. And the Republican response is actually to double down on that. It has nothing to do with patient-centered care, again, unless you are wealthy. And wealthy people are able to buy health care. They're able to get abortions. They're able to get whatever education they want. They're able to get what they're able to work around existing laws and formulas and and, 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 uh, structures. So that's really what they're talking about. Yeah, they, well, they well, okay, well, that made it simple. It's pretty much the same old uh, wine in a new bottle. Well, exactly. Chuck, let's uh, take a break, 
And when we come back, I really want to spend a lot of time talking about Fix It, uh, the movie and the materials. This is Steve Larchuk. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, and we'll be back with our guest, Dr. Charles F. Pinocchio, in just a few minutes. Denied access to Medicaid more than 20 years ago, low-income Pacific Islanders in Oregon are gaining their coverage back. People here under the Compact of Free Association, or COFA Treaty, from the Federated States of Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, and Palau, are granted legal status because the U.S. tested nuclear weapons near their home islands during the Cold War. Last year, Oregon became the first state to cover residents once again, but dental care was left out. Senate Bill 147 would rectify that. David Anatok with the COFA Alliance National Network says without dental coverage, these residents end up using emergency rooms and free clinics to get oral care. They provide cleaning and some base needs, but then when it really comes to what they need to operate on for oral care, they refer them to other places only to get denied or potentially get through with the help of charity programs and whatnot. SB 147 passed the state Senate unanimously and is now in the House Committee on Health Care. Low-income COFA residents were stripped of Medicaid eligibility under President Clinton's Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act in 1996. While Oregon is one of the few states taking care of COFA individuals, the community faces larger threats on the national level. The GOP's recent attempt to overhaul health insurance would have reclassified COFA residents, making them ineligible for health care tax credits. Joe Inlet with the Health Equity Initiative says COFA individual status is dependent on a treaty, and there's fear the rules might change under President Trump. We don't know how the Trump administration would honor that or enforce the laws around that because our islanders are still deportable, so we're just in a state of not knowing what the future holds for us. Anatok says it's important for COFA residents to tell their stories and make their voices heard on issues that affect them. It requires an effort of the village, and so I strongly encourage our communities from the COFA populations. It is important that we continue to educate ourselves and raise our voices in some of these concerns. For Oregon News Service, I'm Eric Tegedoff. A new Kentucky law removes a barrier the victims of domestic violence often face when making the difficult decision to leave their abuser. House Bill 309 gives people with a long-term protective order the ability to terminate a rental lease with 30 days' notice to their landlord. Mario Doherty with the Kentucky Coalition Against Domestic Violence says without that protection, victims often stay in abusive homes and relationships. If they leave their abusers and they break a lease, they've just damaged their rental history. They've just really hurt themselves financially and economically. Governor Matt Bevin signed the bill last week, and it takes effect in late June. House Bill 306 also makes it illegal to evict any victim of domestic violence, dating violence, sexual abuse, or stalking who has a civil or criminal protective order. O'Doherty describes victim advocates as thrilled with the progress made in this year's legislative session. Lawmakers also replaced the state's outdated mandatory reporting law for spousal abuse with a new education-based approach. We believe the old law was keeping survivors from seeking help. They were concerned that their abusers might find out that they had sought help. O'Doherty notes the law in no way eliminates the requirement that anyone who suspects child abuse report it to the state. She explains that when the mandatory reporting law was passed in 1978, 
The state had only one domestic violence program. Now there's an extensive statewide network. Under the new law, when a person discloses domestic violence to a therapist, doctor, or other professional, that professional is required to provide information about domestic violence and sexual assault programs and how to access protective orders. I'm Greg Stottlemyre reporting for Kentucky News Connection. Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And our special guest this week is Dr. Charles F. Pinocchio, a professor of history and a healthcare advocate uh, from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Chuck and I have known each other for about 10 years, and he has been really out front on the uh, crusade uh, or campaign, I should say, for healthcare for all. And one of the things that he has devoted a lot of time to is a, an effort to try and educate people on a massive scale through the use of a movie and associated materials. And so, Chuck, why don't you ta- tell us about Fix It? What is, what is that project, and, and how's it going? It's uh, uh, called Fix It. Well, the, the first movie was uh, called uh, Fix It, a Healthcare at the Tipping Point. And uh, it's, it's the first of a design trilogy uh, the first film is focused primarily on the uh, institution within the medical industrial complex, the insurance industry, though it touches on the other industries of big hospitals, medical, and um, uh, pharmaceutical. The second one focuses more heavily on pharmaceutical, and that film is just now being released. It, and it makes the link between the pharmaceutical industry and the need for campaign finance reform. So the film's project is 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 to is really to connect the dots around the problems associated with our healthcare system, uh, and to discuss just how bought up uh, our our politicians are, Republicans and Democrats. But the project was launched back in 2014, and I was recruited to the project by Richard Master, who runs uh, MCS Industries up in the Lehigh Valley, and uh, Richard recruited. Uh, Vince Mondillo, a, a prominent uh, documentarist, uh, filmmaker, and they recruited me in as the third wheel. So I was uh, one of the one of the uh, the producers, and my job was to recruit the talent. I was to recruit the the uh, academic uh, voices and experts that you see in the film itself um, on the on the state side. And they found another producer up in Canada to fill out the the portion of the film that discusses. Uh, the Canadian healthcare system, in contrast to the U.S., so it's a three-part uh, film project uh, designed to uh, educate folks around the the various problems associated with healthcare funding and delivery. So, if somebody wanted to watch w- this film, where would they go? Uh, fixithealthcare.com, all one word. Fixit, F-I-X-I-T, healthcare.com, all one word. Fixithealthcare.com. And uh, you can just stream it right off the site. Uh, you could order copies um, for uh, handier purposes. You can download materials, uh, printed materials that are very useful and, and just educating people as to the basics. And the nice thing about the film, Steve, is that it, it allows people to work both on national legislation as well as state-level legislation. It's very flexible that way. Well, since we have a president now who seems to get 99% of his information about the world from television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering, do you know whether 
anybody in his team there as it exists today, soon to be changed, uh, has actually watched the film or any of them? Not so far as I'm aware. Uh, we've gotten several members of Congress to see the film. Uh, Matt Wright, uh, I'm sorry, Matt Cartwright uh, up in the Lehigh Valley has seen it, and he shopped it around with a number of his colleagues. We've gotten a number of uh, legislators at the state level to see it, and we've gotten uh, any number of uh, academics uh, to, to see it, as well as activists. We've had a number of screenings around the country. At one point, we did pursue the, pros- the possibility of getting the film shown on television, um, but that didn't get anywhere. Um, uh, so it's really been a, a grassroots distribution that has been uh, effective, but honestly not as effective as we had hoped. That's why your, your program here is very important um, for your listeners to take this film, Fix It Healthcare, at fixithealthcare.com, and, and use the film. Uh, in 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 uh, organizing circles, uh, get the film in front of business groups, get the film in front of healthcare professionals, uh, because it's it's really a no-brainer. I mean, just not to not to sound at all condescending, but the numbers are just so overwhelming in terms of what it is that we would get in terms of delivery of healthcare, restore decision making to the patient-provider relationship, uh, and generate jobs. It's a jobs bill <laughs> as well. And, and if that's Go ahead. Well, I, yeah, one time I think we were sitting together with John Conyers in Philadelphia about mm-hmm. eight years ago. And of course, John Conyers has been introducing and reintroducing H.R. 676, a right. Medicare for All bill in Congress. And depending on the fortunes of the Democrats, it either gets 40 or it gets 80 co-sponsors and lately it's been getting uh, a lot more but I remember sitting there with uh, Representative Conyers and I I said you know you're really missing uh, the opportunity to pitch this as a jobs bill because for every million people that are able to gain access to the health care system you probably create a hundred thousand jobs because if the uh, if the health care industry represents 20 percent of our economy then it's certainly not a leap of faith to say that it represents at least 10% of the employment. Does that make sense to you? It absolutely makes sense. And it's, it's, for some reason, this is lost on, 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 on too many people, Steve, um, and that need to make an, an emphasis here on jobs, jobs, jobs. And these are quality jobs. I mean, you and I both know, and I've talked to any number of people who work in the insurance industry. It's, it's, it's uh, one of the least desirable jobs in the entire economy. And our bill here in Pennsylvania, as you know, is designed to uh, lift uh, those folks out of those jobs, give them an opportunity for retraining um, as the insurance industry is shrunken back to just a marginal basis here in Pennsylvania. And we would create new jobs on the delivery side as well as give people the freedom to uh, pursue other jobs because, as it currently stands, they they suffer from something we call job lock, which is that they don't dare leave a job where they have insurance. And so that creates a freeze in the economy as well. So the bill is also pro-entrepreneurship, right? It's pro-business. It's pro-creativity. It's uh, 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 pro-opportunity. I mean, it gives people the freedom to move about the economy, improve their education, and improve the – and enhance the quality of their life, as well as to make – uh, uh, make more money. 
The president has created a, an economic advisory council of uh, big-time CEOs from around the country. I think uh, the woman who's the CEO of IBM, for example, is on that committee and, and a few others, maybe even the CEO of uh, General Motors. And I, I'm always amazed that big industry uh, is not right up there with us pushing for Medicare for all. Uh, it right. would make so much sense. I mean, I have yet to meet a business person who says, yep, that's the favorite part of my job is managing healthcare. Boy, I just can't wait to get up in the morning so I can go fight with the insurance companies. So it's, I mean, have you met any business person that says, yeah, I like being in charge of my employees' healthcare? I have not. I have not. And, and I, as, a, as somebody who's a member of the local chamber here in, in, in Bucks County, uh, in eastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, um, I, I talk to my business friends, and they scratch their heads and cannot understand why the the larger business sector uh, is not on board here. But I think I have an idea, and that is that I, it is that the, the larger companies seem to think they have some sort of a comparative advantage over smaller, mid-sized, and small companies that are their competitors. But also, they're confused as to what the real healthcare market looks like. Uh, most of these folks, and I'm not talking about my chamber, chamber friends, but I'm talking about people who are just are unaware, is that the market, the real market, the real free market, is in healthcare delivery, giving patients the opportunity to choose their provider. Most of these folks on the right, political, politically on the right, are, are seem to think that getting insurance companies to compete with one another is going to bring down healthcare costs. And it's amazing how much they simply ignore the administrative overhead associated with our current health care system. Well, no question. Let me just interrupt you, Chuck. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. We have to take a break. When we come back with uh, segment three with our guest, we're going to talk about where we go from here. And we'll, we'll pick up with that theme about what is the value added from the insurance industry. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. Join us in just a moment. From infant mortality to our lifespan. We're 37th in the world. I think we need a better plan. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit SaveTheFood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow, but what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Our sponsor, our national sponsor, is Pair Networks, P-A-I-R Networks a world-class web host and domain registration company. You can learn more about them at pair.com, P-A-I-R.com. And our special guest this week is Dr. Charles F. Pinocchio, professor of history at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Chuck, when we left off at the last segment, you were just starting to talk about insurance companies. And let's not get each other started too much on that, but let's devote a minute. I, I keep asking the question to my friends uh, in industry, what exactly does an insurance company add to the healthcare uh, industry? What, what, what do they do that we would miss if we didn't have insurance companies? Can you think of anything? Um, absolutely nothing other than um, providing just basic administrative functions. It is necessary. Um, to, to, you know, move the electronic paperwork through the system to make sure that doctors and patients are matched up and that services are paid for. And our bill here in Pennsylvania, which you, you're uh, a, a primary author, is designed actually to uh, uh, or opens the opportunity for the best and the brightest in the existing insurance industry to move onto the administrative side on the nonprofit, the not-for-profit side of administration. So, you know, we can retain about 15% of these folks and do all the administrative and save in the process in Pennsylvania on, on the order of about $25 billion a year on administrative costs. Well, I noticed in some of the materials uh, related to the Fix-It uh, movie that you talked about in the last segment, there, the estimate for the savings in the United States, if we adopted a Medicare for all, single payer type of system, ranges from 500 to 700 billion with a B each year, which Correct. I think would just shock people because the first question you're always asked when you start pushing for these things is, where are we going to get the money? And the answer is, we're already uh, wasting hundreds of billions of dollars on a system that nobody likes and doesn't work very well. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Steve, there's more than enough money already in the system. We're talking three, three plus trillion dollars. And as it is, we're flushing about a third of that, one trillion dollars through waste, fraud, abuse. And uh, we could recoup, as you said, you know, five to seven hundred billion dollars of that. And that's the trick for delivering health care to all quality, comprehensive health care for all. That is our promise. And we've demonstrated it uh, economically. We can do this. No question. Well, let's figure out how we can do it. And I can share with you that just uh, in our last show, we had a really surprising and encouraging guest, uh, a fellow who's a professor of law at the James Mason University, who actually helped write Donald Jr.'s uh, speech for the Republican convention last year. And he came out with a, a an op-ed piece in the New York Post on March 30th that basically said to Donald Trump, you really should get behind single payer. That's what we need to do. And it was shocking, but really encouraging to have a dyed-in-the-wool conservative saying this is the way we need to go. Stop messing around with all of these uh, disguised tax cuts for the rich and, and call it health care reform. And nobody's buying it. It just makes us look stupid. So uh, I was encouraged by that. But let's talk about how we can move the ball here. You're, you did great work with uh, the fix it. Let's assume that there is a shot, remote though it may be, to get a Medicare for all bill. Let's say Bernie Sanders comes through with something. What, what can people like you and I and the listeners do to, to advance the cause? Well, I would say push at all levers. Um, even though we are uh, Healthcare for All Pennsylvania, we've always supported HR 676, all of our activists. Um, so we, we support the effort at the national level, at the state level, and even, even experimentation at, at local levels, regional levels. We want to see movement somewhere, some kind of a model, some kind of a template that demonstrates, in fact, the, the hands-on delivery both financial as well as uh, delivery of health care, so that we can move forward. So um, I would encourage all folks to contact not only their members of Congress, but their state senators, their state representatives, wherever you reside, uh, and continue to push, 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 and educate. Because you never know when that tipping point's going to be, Steve. You just never know when that's going to hit. Uh, we are in a, in, a, in a financial crisis regarding health care. Uh, people know this. Uh, the system is so expensive that healthcare delivery itself is at a 30, 35 year low. So the problem isn't the fact that there's not enough money, it's that the money's going into the wrong hands. It's being wasted. Well, uh, in terms of what you just said, that you never know, one of the things that we all should remember is that if you had asked most people 10 years ago whether they thought that uh, marriage equality would ever happen in this country, they right. probably would have said no, uh, never. The the churches are against it. Uh, the, the traditions are against it. Even the president, even President Obama, was hardly out there in front pushing hard. And yet here we are. Uh, even the, the Supreme Court of the United States, as conservative as it is and has been, came out and said, yes, it's a it's part of the the privacy right under the Constitution that you right. have that right. So the point is, you never know. It, it can just suddenly come out of the blue, and when it does, you have to be ready for it. You have to be, able to be ready to ride that wave. And one of the themes of this show is that we might be on that wave right now. The failure of the Republican effort, the Trump-Ryan bill, uh, was a necessary first step. They had to give it their shot, 
fail, and then maybe the president would be so desperate to look for a better idea that maybe his ears and eyes would be open. And if Bernie Sanders, who's the most popular politician in the United States right now, really does start pushing hard for Medicare for all, you never know. It, it just might happen. So you think we should all be calling our, our congressmen and our senators. Uh, what about showing up at these town halls? Do you think that does any good? Absolutely. It all does good. It all does good. Um, you know, be active on social media, write letters to the editor, write op-eds, get face-to-face meetings with congressional aides, uh, members of Congress, uh, you know, get in front of the chamber, find friends, join the chamber. I mean, find every lever possible. I know that that sounds like a stretch for some folks, but, you know, be creative and figure out ways of getting in the room with the decision makers, the people who actually have the ears of the politician. And most and, and business people, in fact, do have more uh, of the ear of their representatives than any other constituency out there. That's one thing I've figured out, Steve, in the last 12 years of, of lobbying and organizing around health care is that they listen to business people. And if we can push up, as we discussed earlier, this whole jobs argument, uh, that that can be a real game changer, as well as the tax savings that would be that would be reaped by school districts, by uh, municipalities, by counties, by the state, and all of these uh, benefits simply need to be pushed forward to outweigh the power of the uh, money that floods its way into politics. I mean, this is one of our real challenges. We have to be honest about this, is that the insurance industry, the the big hospitals, medical device and pharmaceutical, they put a lot of money into politics. We saw our own U.S. Senator, Bob Casey, essentially bought, and he blocked Bernie's reimportation of uh, pharmaceuticals. I can give you 450,000 reasons why he did that. That's the amount of money that he took from pharma. And he wasn't alone. There were 13 Democrats who voted against drug reimportation. Shame on them. But that really that speaks to the fact that money is a, is a very powerful force still in our politics. That's why we need to organize and, and create a rebalancing of political power in this country. The more people we have, the, the less significant becomes the money that floods into politics. Well, that's a great way to to wind this up. I do want to add that In order for people to arm themselves with good arguments when they're sitting at the uh, Easter table on Sunday and they're they're talking about health care, if they can go to the Fix-It website, and what was that website again? Uh, Fix-It Healthcare, all one word, fixithealthcare.com. All right, well, go there, and you'll be the person at the dinner table that knows what they're talking about. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'll be back in just a few minutes with some final thoughts. Thank you all for listening. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Well, they had 50 years to get the problem solved. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized, realized he forgot his homework. I hope, I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. 
B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's gonna be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing! I can't, it's too heavy! Oh my god! Ah. Or D, just roll with it. I love you, Justin! I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Single payer is what it's called. Thank you for joining us at Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk for another hour. We had this week as our special guest Dr. Charles Pinocchio, a professor at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, a history professor and a healthcare advocate for many years, uh, who directed us to uh, his particular efforts on the film Fix It. If you just Google Fix It, uh, you'll learn a lot about health care reform and the things we can do. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Network's world-class web hosting and domain name registration. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our producer and booker is Dr. Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Please visit us at healthcare-politics.com. That's healthcare-politics.com politics.com. You can learn about our show. You can listen to all the podcasts. Every single show that we've done is up, and this is our 10th show, I'm pleased to say. We're, we're really making progress. And remember, the words of Martin Luther King Jr., of all forms of injustice, inequality in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. So let's do something about it. Let's dare to be reasonable. Let's meet again next week. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Get the problem solved Soaring costs and less access Is where we evolve From infant mortality To our lifespan We're 37th in the world I think we need a better plan Money hungry insures Pharmaceutical greed Outrageous co-pays for the meds we need in the richest nation we got on this earth Your health ain't a right What are all the other ones worth? Yeah It ain't no Bolshevik medicine or socialist plan 
It's a simple way to cover everyone. 